Let's get to the latest on the invasion of Ukraine. And the presidents of the U.S. and China meeting earlier today, U.S. President Biden was expected to warn China that they will face costs if they're found to be helping or aiding Russia in rescuing them from intense sanctions imposed by many countries, including, of course, Canada. And joining us once again to discuss is Irvin Studen, editor-in-chief of Global Brief Magazine, president for the Institute for 21st Century Questions. His new ebook is out. It's called Canada Must Think for Itself. And Irvin Student joins us once again here on the show. Irvin, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to be with you, Jeff. All right. Do we know how much China is aiding and abetting Russia when it comes to uh, these uh, sanctions that the world has put on Russia, Irvin? Uh, in pith and substance, we don't. We know they have a general... Amity. They reached a general partnership that was uh, described as infinite in um, in scope by both China and Russia at the Olympics. Uh, but practically, there's economic partnership. There are people-to-people exchanges, intelligence cooperation, um, some some military cooperation in terms of exercise. But in terms of this conflict, I'm not convinced that China's um, assistance is, is is material. Yeah, military. Let's talk a bit more about that, if we could, because there are reports today that it's maybe not only financial aid to kind of blunt the impact of these uh, sanctions, but that China may be providing Russia with uh, military support as well. It's it's possible. I'm not aware one way or the other. I, I know that China would keep its powder dry generally. They're not neutral, strictly speaking, in the conflict. They have good relations with both Moscow and Kiev, and as I mentioned them before, as a possible mediating uh, party or host, but um, they would keep their powder dry in terms of the possible outcome. They don't interest; they're not interested in a general collapse on either side, or in a total victory on either side. But if they see that Russia is in trouble, they might at the margin help. But I don't think it will be huge support. Okay, we're hearing the two leaders, the presidents of the U.S. and China, spoke for roughly two hours earlier today, Irvin. Just how effective do you think would these sort of talks uh, be between uh, the U.S. and China? Is China likely to listen to the U.S.? Absolutely. They're essential. It's essential. uh, I think I mentioned before that all countries speak to one another. Uh, One can have a closed fist with one hand, but an open hand with the other. Information exchange is important. I think all countries, the senior countries, uh, United States and China, to begin with, have an interest in a resolution of this conflict one way or another. They have a disinterest in general destabilization, China in particular, even more than the United States. And China, as I mentioned, is even more important than the United States as a a potential closing party, that is to close us out in a mediating sense. So the U.S. would be interested in that capacity. All right. As I mentioned as well, uh, U.S. President Biden saying going into these uh, talks uh, today that China could face, quote-unquote, costs if they're found to be helping or aiding uh, Russia. What sort of uh, cost do you think Biden is likely talking about? I think there are no costs that the U.S. could impose on China that wouldn't have a boomerang effect on on the United States. They're almost equally large economies. China's an even bigger player post-pandemic than than the United States. So there's nothing that could cause inordinate pain to China. So it's more rhetorical, um, but it's necessary for more domestic consumption than, than international consumption. All right. Meanwhile, uh, Ch- or sorry, Canada is in uh, what is being called a quote-unquote Twitter spat uh, with uh, Russia. This all coming out of the UN over the last uh, day or so. Can you uh, tell us a bit about what's going on here, Irvin? 
this would have been some correspondence uh, at the ambassadorial or sub-ambassadorial level within the UN system. I think there was some editing and um, re-editing of articles and posted online. This is, again, uh, I think, uh, a poor substitute for actual communication between serious countries. Uh, We have a difficult relationship with Moscow. We have to have a closed fist on the one hand to push back on the invasion of Ukraine, but an open hand on the other to to discuss. So uh, I think for domestic consumption, it plays well for a physical invasion. And the the war is a physical one, not a virtual one. Uh, It's largely marginal. So we have to not get too distracted with our own theater and, and really be part of that, that conversation Biden was having with Xi Jinping and with other countries to play at a senior level in the material sense, not in the virtual sense. Yeah, I'm looking at this uh, letter right now that uh, Canada Mission uh, UN uh, tweeted out. And, you know, a lot of people have commented, Irvin, that it kind of looks like a school assignment that has been uh, corrected uh, by a teacher. And just uh, wondering again, when it comes to, uh, you know, the world stage, I guess, uh, diplomacy, just, uh, you know, how this plays. Well, uh, I think this goes back to what I've been saying for a while. We're well-intentioned countries, but we have no assets, Canada, in a serious sense with which to punch in the world. The assets can be military or diplomatic. One does not punch on Twitter. One punches through actual relations supported by assets. That's a reality no matter how hard we tweet and retweet. In the former Soviet space, there are 15 republics of which Russia and Ukraine are two. We have diplomatic relations with only six of those 15, six of those 15. So we're in a very, very poor position uh, uh, with in, in which to help uh, advance the necessary relations uh, for for closure on the on this conflict. So Twitter is a, is a very very poor substitute for real work on the ground. It's time, obviously, we get serious, in it, but it, it's very late in the game. You know, you mentioned punching on Twitter. We have also, of course, along with the rest of the world, been uh, punching with the uh, sanctions against uh, Russia. Do we need to be particularly with uh, this uh, latest again? What's being termed or called a Twitter spat? need to be on guard here in this country when it comes to uh, Russia, and I'm thinking in particular of uh, maybe cyber attacks, ransomware attacks, that sort of thing. Is Canada in the crosshairs there? I think so, but in a secondary sense. I mean, keep in mind that if our diplomatic relations with Russia and and in the former Soviet space generally are, are poor, that means that any sanctions we imposed will be marginal in their impact. We have very little uh, leverage to, to play with. So any when we call for doubling down on sanctions, we're, we're going to be now grasping at, at straws. The reverse is also true, however. We are eminently vulnerable on, on cyber issues, on, on espionage, on, on, on economic uh, sabotage, because we don't think the way that other senior countries, great powers, think. We don't think that anyone could attack us and devastate us. But the last two years of the pandemic have shown that Canada is not very good in an emergency state. So we have to, on the one hand, prepare for that. We also have to be careful what we wish for. We can't go frontally with major powers without being prepared for a counterattack. All that to say that we need to up our game. We have to realize that we're surrounded, actually, by great powers. We have uh, Russia to our north across the Arctic, not to the east of Ukraine as we see it, but really really at our doorstep. We have China on the western doorstep. We have the United States at our southern doorstep and the entire European theater to our eastern doorstep. We're surrounded on all sides. And so we have to play at that level or we could get crushed fast. 
Just finally, as we head into another weekend, uh, what will you be watching, Irvin? Uh, where are things uh, heading when it comes to the invasion of Ukraine, do you think? It's a catastrophe uh, upon catastrophe. Uh, we uh, maybe a week or two ago thought that a political settlement could nip this in the bud before it got out of control. But now I'm increasingly skeptical that any political settlement, even if sincere on both sides, uh, I'm skeptical that it can have legs and staying power on the ground. The, the, not only the military dynamic is, is out of control, but, but social dynamics, different social, uh, social anarchy, legal anarchy in different parts of Ukraine. It's a very big country. And as the political center starts to give, there'll be different armed parts of the country with different interests that will begin to exert their own local legitimacy. And Russia and Ukraine in the center will be major players, but not the only players. So we'll lose the monopoly on the legitimate use of violence and leg- legitimate lawmaking power. So I'd be curious to see what the what the political settlement looks like. There are negotiations that are quite advanced. Ukraine is in a big pickle because on the one hand, they are under the gun literally to, to, to reach some sort of settlement, but they can't be seen uh, both internationally and especially domestically to give too much. Otherwise, the, the president who has been heroic in his rhetorical resistance will be seen as treacherous domestically. On the other hand, Russia needs to to broker a settlement very fast in order to justify the war, but they won't be able to impose it. So we're in a real pickle. All right, Irvin, really appreciate your time and your insight as always. Thank you so much for this. Have a nice weekend. You too. Irvin Student is editor-in-chief of Global Brief Magazine, president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions. And again, his brand new ebook entitled Canada Must Think for Itself is available now. And we're back after this. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.